Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Caroline Albanese and Kay Harris. So Caroline, will you kick us off by telling us a little bit about how you and Kay know one another? Yes, Kay and I, I think that we first met through Hand in Hand, um, the ministry at church for special needs families. Camille, my daughter, has special needs, and Kay has been one of her buddies and just has been has kind of just walked through our journey so far um, since Camille was little. Mm-hmm. Explain a little bit what Hand in Hand it does here at yes. the church. So Hand in Hand is a ministry for families with special needs and does a lot of things. Um, but one of the biggest things is having a buddy uh, per kid so that families can participate in worship and kind of be freed up to be able to attend on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. There's a special room with sensory stuff for the children um, or if the child doesn't go to the special room and maybe goes to a classroom that would be for their age, then the buddy may accompany. And then also we have things like for the special needs families, like a G3 group where we can gather and encourage one another. We may go through a book together and just kind of have like-minded discussion or different special events. Um, So Susie Love Camp is heading it up and I think she has a vision for even further where she wants it to go. It is the best ministry to work in. And you've been involved with it for how long? Well, my first hand-in-hand child was pre the children's ministry building. And a group of deacons and elders would meet us at the bottom of the stairway and carry him in his wheelchair up to the second grade classroom. So that was my first buddy. All right, well, let's continue on and tell a little bit more about yourself. So you're going to give a brief bio, and I'm also going to ask you our first things first question, which we do at the beginning of every podcast. So I'll ask you the question, you'll answer the question, and then you'll give a brief bio on yourself. And the question is, because we're getting somewhat close to November, I guess we're about a month out from Thanksgiving. So the question is, what is the first menu item that comes to your mind when you think of a perfect Thanksgiving feast? And Caroline, you get to kick us off. Okay, so my name is Caroline Albanese, and I have four children. I'm married to my husband, Zach. He is a financial advisor. We have four children, Oliver, who is nine, Hazel, who is seven, and then we have twins who are three. One of our twins has special needs, um, who Kay has worked with, um, little Camille, and both of the twins have a lot of medical stuff. Things that I like, I really enjoy interior design. That's like a hobby for me, and I've done some um, work with that. I um, I love to write, and I love to discuss theology, discuss the gospel, discuss discipleship, discuss habits, discuss... I just love having discussions with other people who love the gospel, and I love thinking about how that impacts history and culture and our lives and our habits and all of the things. When I think of the perfect item for Thanksgiving, I think of my grandma's macaroni and cheese. It's like a casserole macaroni and cheese and just so good. It's what I grew up with. It had little pieces of bread, like bread that had butter on it and was cooked and then put on the top. And 
it's very different than like most mac and cheese, but I just love it so much. And it's gotten even more special as my grandmother has gotten older and has had strokes. She's still with us, but she can't make the macaroni and cheese. So somebody always tries to replicate it and it has never quite been the same, but we're always like, no, we need to have grandma's mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. And um, even this year, my mom was saying that one of the attenders was going to bring a different macaroni and cheese. And I was like, no, she has to bring grandma's macaroni and cheese. You can come to my house anytime you want and sit there and and give me some interior decorating ideas because heaven knows I need them. And I would love to have that kind of conversation with you and you can bring mac and cheese. Okay. Mm. Do you okay. want to do that next week? I would week? love that because it is so much fun for me to do design. It is like, I'm like a kid in a candy store to be able to do that. So if, yeah, it's, it's such a treat. So yeah, let's do it. Okay, what about you, Kay? So I am Kay Harris, wife to Mike, mom to three boys and their wives, and a newly acquired title of Nana Kay Hmm. to the sweetest little boy named Alfred. Um, I am an RN currently working as a pediatric hospice nurse with a company called Hands of Hope. My most consistent hobby slash interest, I feel like, is photography. I have been taking photos since my first class in college, and I just, it, it's the thing I keep coming back to. And I obviously started long before digital photography. I especially love people, taking photographs of people, and specifically children. My favorite menu item, so you're either going to know what it is or you're not for Thanksgiving, is cornbread dressing, Mm -hmm. which is not stuffing, and my mom's recipe. It is hard to replicate, but yes. Do you cook it now for Thanksgiving? I do. I helped my my mom, probably like Caroline's grandmother, never measured anything. Mm -hmm. And so then, so I stood in the kitchen with her and measured as she made it and wrote it down and made a cookbook for all of the children and grandchildren with her recipes. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our children would say, it's not the same, but... What is that little magical, that magical <laughs> touch yes. that you cannot replicate? Cannot I do not replicate. know what that is. Well, Kay lives across the street from me and has three boys. Her boys are all older than mine. They're, mm-hmm. you know, maybe about a decade older than mine. And just to have her wisdom across the street is sweet. And John has said before, I know this sounds strange, but with Kay being a hospice nurse, he says, if I were to die, I would want Amber on one side and Kay on the other. <laughs> <laughs> Gentle, sweet. wise spirit. Well, we also have three boys and a bonus girl, and now I'm questioning our whole uh, house buying situation. You should. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly should have moved into your neighborhood. Okay, so I'm here for the sides when it comes to Thanksgiving, so I love that y'all both named sides. Also, the cornbread dressing, Kay. Mm Mm-hmm. My mama's is the best. So Mm -hmm. good. Did your mom have the cornbread and the toast? Is that a thing? No. Yes. Okay. She puts a little a, a little bit of bread crumbs from toast. In okay. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in addition to the cornbread dressing, which is delicious on its own, but bean salad. Did y'all do that one? Do you do that one growing up? Is it like with vinegar and it's sweet? Oh my word, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's probably straight out of the nineteen sixties. My brothers are all like the indignity. How who would serve that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. It's so vinegary. I love vinegary foods. 
And it's just adds some brightness to the richness of the dressing. <laughs> and it's crunchy. You got like the little, I don't know. It looks Christmassy, actually. It's red mm-hmm. and green. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know about this one? I know Is about it a Midwest one. thing? It may be. We didn't, I didn't have it growing up, but I have been exposed to it. I can't remember exactly where. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had it growing up, but not for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It maybe is a little unorthodox, but we're here for it. I mean, we no longer make congealed salads, but I'm just saying <laughs> the bean salad is here to say so good. And I think I say that in tandem because it's like a combo. Like you've got your dressing and then you've got like a scoop of the bean salad on top. It's hot, cold, saucy, vinegary. I mean... Well, I'm thinking, I thought when y'all started sharing that mine was going to be very basic. It was going to be turkey. I mean, you, you can't have Thanksgiving without turkey. I guess you can, but turkey. we always have turkey. And so that, that always comes to my mind. But I have grown up and experienced different types of turkey. So my mom mm-hmm. used to do the standard, and I loved it, and I loved her stuffing, which was basically bread and um, celery that had been cooked down in that butter, which would smell so, so, so good. And then that whatever that poultry seasoning is. So a lot of butter, a lot of celery, a lot of bread, and stick it in the turkey, which I know that's that's Midwestern and super heavy. But I loved it. And the turkey was good. But when I got married and my husband's dad did turkey, that was a whole nother experience. We would go to this family retreat and they would either fry the turkey, which I thought, oh, that's weird, gross. But it's delectable because it's so tender and so salty. I I do love a salty turkey. Or he would do this turkey where he would rub a pesto. It was a turkey Mm. breast and he would rub a pesto blend inside the turkey. So when you cut it, it would spiral through with this herb pesto blend. Mm, Super good. So obviously the food is one of the things that comes to the forefront of our mind when we think about Thanksgiving. But the other thing that comes to the forefront of our minds when we think about that holiday is Thanksgiving itself, giving thanks. And one of the traditions that we would do with my husband's family is we, and it was a large extended family gathering, is we would all get in a circle and everybody would hold hands and you would go around the circle and you were in charge of saying something you were thankful with that started with a particular letter of the alphabet. So somebody started with A, and then it was B, and then it was C, and then it was D. And then if you had enough people, then you had to start again. So sometimes it was distracting because you were trying to think, what am I going to say that starts with Z, you know? (laughs) Uh, But it was fun just to hear what people could come up with. It felt easy to be thankful in that setting. You're with people you love. You've got all these good, wonderful smells of food cooking. It's a cozy environment. And yeah, we're thankful. It felt easy. So the feeling matched the environment. But today in our passage, we're going to talk about a gratitude and a joy that doesn't match the environment. We're going to talk about what it looks like to rejoice when there doesn't seem like there's anything to rejoice in. So we've come to the end of the little book of Habakkuk. And we remember that it's written primarily as a dialogue between God and his prophet Habakkuk. So Habakkuk begins this book by going to God with an ongoing complaint over the state of his nation. And he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? And then he continues on, and God answers, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And those dwellings were going to be Habakkuk's city. So obviously Habakkuk 
has a very hard time with God's answer. And he replies in what is borderline accusation, really close to the line. Are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. In other words, I thought I knew who you were, but now I'm not so sure. He says, you who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And then God answers again, and this time it's with instructions for Habakkuk to write a vision. And the vision, it is a vision of God working out his perfect justice so that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth the way the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk's told to wait for the fulfillment of that vision, even if it seems slow in coming, for the righteous will live by faith. And God closes the vision he gives to Habakkuk with the statement, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And having received this vision from the Lord, having seen the promised execution of justice and mercy explained, Habakkuk then responds with a prayer that's put to music, with a song, with worship. And the verses we come to today are the closing lines of that song. So I am reading in chapter 3, starting in verse 16, and going through the closing verse, verse 19. This is Habakkuk speaking, and he says, I hear... And by that, he's referring to all that the Lord has told and shown him. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So Aaron, talk to us a little bit about some of the things you noticed in this passage. Yeah, I think that where what we see kind of come in full circle here is Habakkuk is understanding what he said in chapter two, that the righteous will live by faith. He's spilling that out in this poetry that we have here at the very end of this book. And it's so beautiful. I feel like last week we kind of wrestled with that more difficult piece. Like we're in the midst of that, not sure where, where Habakkuk's going. And now we're reading this where he's saying, though my circumstances look terrible, that we know that you're bringing your chastening rod for your people, that we know that you are promising justice towards the evil around us and the evil within us. We have our eternal lenses on. We know that your sovereignty is sure. We know that your salvation is sure. And we rejoice in that. And it's undergirded in the love that they've known from the Father. So I think that there is just that peace that passes all understanding right here in this passage that you know that things are probably not going to shake down. Like we haven't seen really the rubber hit the road of this prophecy yet, but he knows that it is imminent. Things are not going to be great leading into this exile, but he knows that God is with him, that his love is sure, and that he's confident in God's sovereignty and goodness towards him, even in the midst of some not great circumstances. I like how you bring that out. And because the part of his prayer and this poem before he gets to this section camps a lot on God's power and his judgment and his justice and the cry for his mercy, all of these big things about who God is. And then in this portion, he's saying that God that I have just spoken of in those powerful ways He is the God that is my strength. And so you see him drawing his own strength, not just from knowing that God is strong, but the actual fact that God's strength is transferred to me. 
will mm-hmm. be transferred to me in the midst of this hard place. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, he's reflecting on God's sovereignty and how that gives him courage in yeah. that moment. Mm-hmm. So let's turn it over to you guys. Kay, what were you thinking that was particularly interesting in this passage or surprising? I, I was really, I'm sort of glad that they connected verse 16 to the, the end of the book because I feel like I would typically pick up with verse 17. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I have a real um, appreciation for what it would look like to have no fruit, that everything would fail as far as what you're eating. And But when I read the verse 16, and it talks about the trembling of Um, and just the shuddering of your bones. I feel like it's describing, um, it's such a picture of true fear and true grief of whatever the circumstance is. And so then the second part of that verse, when he says, but I will quietly wait, I want it to say, but I will quietly wait until God just makes it all better. But no, it's I quietly wait for the day of trouble. And I think that is, yeah, such a picture of what grief is, that you can know death is coming um, and you can quietly wait, but that is not the end that you want, um, but it's the, it's the end mm-hmm. that you're getting. Yeah, I love that you pull that together, the fact that that 16 is connected to 17 through 19, and he's waiting on the trouble that's going to come on Israel but he's also waiting on the trouble that's going to come on Babylon. You know, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to overtake those who have done this to me. So he's waiting on discipline and yet justice. And in that justice from previous verses, we we know he's waiting also on the Lord to execute mercy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when he talks about that trembling, I hadn't thought about this till you said that, but like that's weakness. When you're trembling and your bones are decaying and all those sorts of things, you feel anything but strong. So the fact that he moves from that place to I will rejoice in God, my Savior, who makes me strong is it definitely helps to keep those two tied together. I love too. you were pointing out the fruit of the vine and the fig like you won't have luxury like the fig in the Middle Eastern culture at that point would have represented luxury. You're not going to have your olives that are going to provide cooking and light and all those things. And then even down to just your regular everyday sustenance, no food in the field, like all of the things are gone not just luxury, not just your everyday, like your, your sustenance is gone. And yet still we have courage because we have our eternal lenses on. All right, Caroline, what were you thinking? I think along the same lines as Kay, I'm just encouraged in reading this passage to see the tension between the emotional turmoil that Habakkuk has in the face of suffering and yet at the same time the unshakable hope in God and I think just it encourages me to see the two of those held together existing side by side I think because I can relate to it so much in my own life and I think that this passage becomes relatable to the reader because it includes the hard feelings it could be hard to just read oh, though I have none of these things, I will just rejoice. It begins with, you know, the very real difficult things, the the feelings in the body, the um, just the way that he's feeling and, and trembling and fearing what is to come. And yet at the same time, holding on to the hope. 
it makes it easier to receive that call to rejoice um, in the Lord in the midst of hard circumstances to see that it doesn't mean that you're just going to feel like doing it, but the, the hard can still be there. Um, and you can still rejoice in the Lord, even with those, those very real physical responses to fear and anxiety over what is to come. Yeah, the fact that you bring out that our bodies know, even if, if we, even if we are trying to convince our minds, right, that we, okay, I'm not anxious, I do not, our bodies don't let us deceive ourselves for very long. They pick mm-hmm. up on those things. So I do think it's, like you said, relatable that he mentions the fact that he feels these things in his body. So I want you all to talk about maybe a worst case scenario that you either have reason to fear or perhaps one that you've lived through that has caused you to react physically. And then with that in mind, what has it looked like for you to wait for and rejoice in the Lord? Well, I can certainly think of future worst case scenarios that could happen. Like, for example, um, something happening to my husband, uh, me becoming a single mom, having to take care of all of our children on our own. It's like a whole well-oiled machine. Well, not very well, but it's a it's a machine mm-hmm. in, in our home, and we rely on each other. So for me to have to do it all on my own, it, that is a worst-case scenario in my mind. Or something, some sort of tragedy happening to my children. Even I imagine like like what if, you know, I think of the the families that are in Gaza right now or in Israel and all the stuff that is going on there. You know, I fall asleep at night in peace compared to that. And I wonder, you know, I can't imagine being in a situation where that could happen, but that would be a worst case scenario. But in many ways, there are things that I have gone through and are currently continuing to go through in my life that feel like a worst case scenario, if you look at it that way. And I, I don't want to paint the wrong picture because I do have so much to be thankful for. But if you were to tell me five years ago what my life would look like today, I would have never believed it. And that would have been five years ago for me, um, a worst case scenario. And, and in that I have been forced to face many of my fears and to walk through what has felt like an impossible road. Without going into too many details, we have just walked through so many medical complications with our twins. And I think with thinking about the physical response, yes, there can be times where you might be like, I think I'm doing okay. But then um, like for me, sometimes what will happen is I will wake up in the morning and I like can't even turn my head. And it's like I was sleeping the whole night tense and didn't even know. But there's there's stress, there's worry, there's there have been moments with like especially heightened moments um, where we've dealt with medical stuff where there's I, I won't even be aware of it till I take note of it and realize I'm breathing like up up in my throat. Like I'm not taking deep breaths. It's like a short shortness of breath and just tightness in my body. So yeah, I think that I think that our our bodies can really show sometimes what is going on in our souls more than we are even aware. But what a gift that the Lord is there with us, even even in that. Um, for me, waiting and rejoicing in the Lord when our circumstances do not go as we would wish means 
clinging to the Lord as my hope and clinging to Him for my joy. It means when I do not understand what He is up to, that I trust that He is sovereign and that He has ordained every single part of my life and every single part of my children's life, and that I can trust Him and know that He is good. The only way that I am able to walk through what feels very hard and maintain any sort of sweetness or joy or laughter or peace is um, by walking with Jesus and by abiding in Him. And what that looks like in my life means just talking to Him about everything, Mm -hmm. talking to Him about every detail of my life, praying through disappointments, just telling Him my burdens and asking Him for wisdom. And often it's not like coming away with a clear cut anything. It's just talking with him and reading the word, meditating on the word, clinging to the promises of scripture. And for me, this is the only way. If I am not in the word and in prayer, then I will, I can grow bitter and frustrated and, um, and, and, Music has been huge, just blasting the worship music, um, finding artists who lift my heart towards him, playing those songs at home when I'm cleaning or when I'm out driving in the car, when I'm getting ready, just constantly keeping my mind in the word. Because when you are walking through a time like Habakkuk where the, you know, things aren't blossoming, things are not thriving. It feels like your basic necessities are not there. For me, I am, it's one thing to go through circumstances that are good or fairly stable. I feel like you can kind of have a semblance of like peace or joy. It may not necessarily be from the Lord, but you can be okay. But to go through what is very difficult, The only way for me to have joy is to be connected to Jesus. And if I am not actively abiding in Him, then I will go into the pit. And so in a way, it's almost a gift to go through something that is so hard and that will not let up because it keeps you in a state of constant abiding in Him. And and and. And it's not necessarily that abiding in him means that I have no frustration. Sometimes I am still frustrated and sometimes I'm, I can get bitter even when I am with him, but he can handle that and I can bring my messiness to him. And I think another thing is, is just how amazing it is that the Lord truly does strengthen us. Like it says, he is our strength. He makes our feet like the feet of a deer and enables us to go on the heights. Like I said earlier, if five years ago you had told me what I was about to go through, I think I would have fainted. I think I couldn't have even believed that I could go through it. But here I am now, and the Lord has enabled me. He has taken um, my husband and I through things that we could have never even imagined. If you had told me the amount of ER trips, the hospitalizations, the at-home medical care, the just emotional turmoil of question after question of mysterious medical issues popping up, receiving a heart-wrenching diagnosis for our child, grieving that, then another diagnosis for another child, grasping the lifelong ramifications of that diagnosis diagnosis, then getting hit with another diagnosis for the other child, and another diagnosis and another diagnosis after that. Really, it would take like a weekend to share it all. And it almost sounds like I'm making it up. Like when I hear myself say it, I'm like, this 
seems unbelievable. Yet it is true. The point of it is not to bring up like all the hard stuff. But the point is that I really feel that there is nothing that the Lord could take us through and he would not be there with us. I think worst case scenario, and I love that what Caroline just said, what her worst case scenario would have been five years ago. And I do think our worst case scenarios change. I would say right now, of our adult sons and their wives, only two of the six are walking with the Lord. And so, of course, I've reacted physically with tears and, you know, just with a physical pain in your heart, pit in your stomach, just when you see the path that your children are on. But then I've also reacted physically by thinking I could fix it. If I just give them the right book, um, point them to the right podcast, the right theologian, basically thinking I could be responsible for their salvation. When I look at verse 17, and all the things that are not working out, the fig tree not blossoming, no fruit on the vines, fields yielding no food, no flock, no herd. I thought these are all things that would have come from our own labor and our own work. And even when those things are not working, he's saying, yes, even if what you're doing is not working, I am still sovereign and I am with you. You can rejoice in me and me alone. And I think um, he's given us so many beautiful reminders, even just in this study of his strength, his power. So we know he can do and is able to do all these things. And he can make the fruit grow. But if he doesn't, then he's still there. Mm -hmm. And he is the one he wants us to rejoice in him. Yeah, I really don't appreciate this question. Amber. <laughs> I feel like you got really up in our business. Yeah, a little bit. I'll admit that. Do you want my whole journal? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have it. I'm going to read it. Oh, <laughs> Um, well, when I was thinking through this, it's definitely like, man, I have that that worst case scenario in mind that I'm sure each of you, when you read it, your like blood drains. You can like feel the like that. You feel it again a little bit. And I think that as I'm thinking of that moment and interestingly, I've alluded to this on the podcast before, like this sermon series that was preached at our church in Habakkuk in 2014 was part of walking me out of that because it taught me how to be honest with myself. It taught me how to be honest with the Lord and how there is sure and promised deliverance that there you're not left to a life of despair, but there is a life of hope that you can walk in when you know that Jesus is with you. And I think in that context, I think we all kind of touched on that a little bit already, but really and truly like that worst case scenario that I think of that makes my blood drain is it was a hard time it was and it's affected me in this major way and it still has marked my life in this impactful way but the thing that was so worst case scenario about it is that I knew about God's sovereignty and I knew about God's salvation but I did not experience his presence and his love like I only knew about those things in this um, doctrinal way and that now, like I had another little, shall we say, worst case scenario, even Caroline, what you were talking about, like this um, Q4 2022. What is that? I don't know, like a, a year ago or so. Brad had a, 
a health scare that was like, you're thinking about those things like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to do this whole family life by myself? I'm moving into Kay and Amber's neighborhood, I guess. So they can shuttle. We'll take you. We'll take you. (laughs) Shuttle my kids and bring me food. And I don't know, like what else happens in that neighborhood? It sounds glorious. But it really helped me or made me face that moment like dead on like oh my goodness like what would it look like for me to walk through this life with me and just my kids without a husband who does the the 10th mile with me like he's running the the whole thing with us and that while maybe like a worst case scenario was playing out in real time like I knew the Lord's presence was with me and it was scary and there were tears shed but his presence and his love that undergirded that situation it was not that same blood draining moment that I felt when I was 22 years old and all of my world came crashing down around this one grievous loss it was not the same like Mm -hmm. there was obviously just some age maturity maybe but just the fortitude of knowing that the Lord is with me that he promises hope that even in a situation that seems grievous and unpredictable that he is with me and what what was on paper a worst case scenario was like I trust the Lord is good even in this moment where We don't know how all the cards are going to fall. What everybody's bringing out to some degree is that sense of being alone or left in that worst case scenario. I think that's really, uh, it stands out to me Mm -hmm. how you can describe as a 22 year old feeling like I know God's sovereign. I know he saves, but I don't have any sense that he's really with me, Mm -hmm. that he loves me and how that was changed for you in this, this more recent experience. And it makes me think again, what we're saying is that you don't just know about God and and this is what I have to, I feel like the Lord's been impressing on me lately, um, is just, Amber, I don't want you to just know about me. That feels comfortable or that feels, you feel prideful or whatever it would be. It's important, but it doesn't stop there. And it makes me think of this time that I went biking with my dad. My dad and I like to road bike. I liked to road bike with him when I was growing up and we would take these trips because he would drive a bus of these youth oftentimes youth and they would be riding their bikes various places and one trip was in Maine and all of these youth were older than I was maybe they were 16 17 and I was 12 13 and we were riding some hard routes and some long distances and I specifically remember riding one day up this if you can term a mountain in Maine as a mountain but you know a Maine sized mountain up this mountain and it had a whole lot of switchbacks and it felt like every time we went around the switchback, there'd be another one. (laughs) You'd be saying, okay, just around this bend, just around. And it just felt like it would not end. And when you're riding something like that, your lungs are burning, your legs are burning. You really don't feel like you have it in you anymore. And so I needed my dad to instruct me to say, to encourage me, to tell me, you know, how to ride best, um, to, cheer me on to say you can do it, et cetera, et cetera. And I needed that. And I got to the top and I thought, yes. But as I was getting to the top, what I realized is the real reason I made it to the top is because we used to have these flags that would go up on the back of our bikes so that you could see that, you know, people who drive in a car could see you. And they were just this long, strong, uh, on a long, strong, thin pole. And what he could do is he would bend that pull back from behind me. And it was tough enough that he could push his energy through that pole into my bike. And I, so I didn't realize it, but it was really his strength transferred into mm. my bike that really propelled me forward. And so you do think, which will make me tear up, oh, no. but you do think that that is the Lord's, um, the Holy Spirit's ability to apply that strength to us, not just a knowledge of it, but a real experience of it. 
just thinking that this final prayer of Habakkuk and the things that we're talking about here, he didn't just write them even as we're talking about experiencing the Lord's strength. He didn't just write them as doctrine. And again, doctrine is wonderful. We need it. But he also wrote it as a song and something to be sung. And so some of us have been reading Travis Scott's book, Faithful Doubt, alongside of our study of Habakkuk. And he has this quote in the book where he says, We are people of deep emotions and even deeper longings, which go beyond the merely intellectual and often beyond our conscious awareness. This is why the end of Habakkuk is surprisingly beautiful. God's response to the problem of evil is not an algorithm or equation. It's not a sermon or theological solutions to go and think harder about. Instead, he gives us a song. He says, sing this and remember. Perhaps this is because singing can form us and answer our heart questions in ways our heads can't fully comprehend. Through song, we approach God with our whole person, head, heart, and body, As we sing, this remembering of his person and his actions is not just an intellectual exercise, it's a whole person experience. We sing his praise, his adoration, our lament, and our thanks. As we sing these things, the reality of his goodness and grace is woven more deeply into our being. Through the practice of singing, God's goodness and faithfulness become more fully a part of our conscious thinking, but they also begin to reshape our deepest hopes and longings by speaking comfort into the hidden parts of our heart. So ladies, what about that quote and the fact that Habakkuk chose to express his trust in God through song is particularly meaningful to you? And how do you find that singing your faith is helpful? Well, I love I love the whole quote, but I love the phrase or sentence as we sing these things, the reality of his goodness and grace is woven more deeply into our being. I don't know how we would ever think anything but that music is a complete gift from God. And and I love that music can be fun and silly or deep. It can give you a place for your sadness and how often A song reminds me of scripture, or even as we were doing this last, I kept thinking, this reminds me of the song, Even If, by Mercy Me. And just, I thought, he must have written this about this (laughs) section of Habakkuk. And just, yeah, it gives us a place. It gives me a place. It both serves as a distraction if my mind is going in a place it shouldn't, Mm -hmm. um, but it also just gives me I feel like a place for my struggles, and I'm not sure why God didn't give me a singing voice, because I would have loved that. (laughs) Same. (laughs) But he didn't. So I only sing in my car or in the shower. Yeah, I think I, I just agree with Travis Scott's explanation of how singing can form us and answer our heart questions, um, because I know there's been times in my life that have been extra hard, and in those times, I can even struggle to read my Bible or not not necessarily struggling to read it, but struggling to receive from it. Like my eyes can just kind of glaze over the pages of scripture and feel like I'm not taking anything in. And in those times, I would say song is very powerful. There's a way that worship music can just enter into those places and minister. And sometimes I can't even personally sing because 
of where I'm at, but I can listen. And I, I still remember when my husband and I were waiting to hear back the results of my daughter's karyotype to see whether or not she did indeed have Down syndrome. It was right after she was born. I think we had to wait seven or nine days before we found out the results. And it was emotionally excruciating going back and forth thinking, maybe she does. Oh, no, maybe she doesn't. And to wonder what our lives could end up looking like if she did. And then to wonder what our lives could look like if she didn't, maybe it was just a fluke. And maybe, maybe that, you know, she won't have the diagnosis, but just going back and forth and back and forth and listening to worship music in that time was so powerful. And I can remember it just felt like such a burden to my husband and me. And we would listen to there's this one song we would listen to over and over called Jesus Strong and Kind by City of Light. And that song ministered to us so much. And there's a part in that song where children sing and we were dealing with so much fear and just hearing the children sing. And I don't know, there was just, we can't, there's not even words for it, but um, together the two of us would just hold hands and cry as we listened to that song and the lyrics and the, the music and the voices just lifted our hearts to Jesus. We were filled with fear, but we knew that God was with us. And so, yeah, I think that song is powerful and it can really meet us in, in the deepest places. And especially in my life, it has been in those times where I'm just really struggling with some of the other spiritual disciplines to meet him. And he's met me in that way. I think that there's such a large portion of the Bible that is given to us that is the songbook that obviously the Psalms are there for the Hebrew people to sing and give worship and they're there for us. And I love what you're saying, Caroline, that sometimes it's like you want to participate, but even that just having those songs sung over you, being reminded of God's truth in scripture, just even if the songwriters flushing it out, or even if they're just singing scripture over you, it is just an encouragement to have it catechizes us and it cuts those deep mm-hmm. grooves in our brain to remember who the Lord is when we maybe aren't even, I know that Wendy pulled this out when she came and talked to us during the conference that sometimes we aren't even able to pull out our Bibles and do the study work. It's just like we need those mm-hmm. words just sung over us. And mm-hmm. that is such a gift. So I love how even in these old Testament books, because we have the light, on of the New Testament and we know that the Bible is one story pointing to the deliverance that we've known in Jesus we can read this and understand that God is delivering us from his enemies and um, his enemies should rightly be our enemies and we know that his enemies are the sin within our own hearts of course the sin done to us death and Satan and his evil powers around us. And we know that he's promised that destruction of all of those things. And we can be confident to move forward in that and be strengthened by that and have the courage to move forward in that. So Amber, I love this quote you pulled out from this old Scottish minister. And part of it is talking about how we get our vigor and our life and our buoyancy. What a good word in Christ and how Christianity gives a man divine gladness, which makes him ready for work. So not Not only are we experiencing the joy of the Lord's salvation, but he's preparing us. That joy moves us into action. It moves us into worship. It moves us into the work that he's prepared for us and that we can do it with confidence in him. And that I feel like that quote just ties in so neatly with what we're talking about, that we will face hard times and regardless of our circumstances, 
we can rejoice in God, confident that he's our deliverer and he will strengthen us for the difficult days ahead. Absolutely. Well, Caroline and Kay, thank you both for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you will join us again next week. It will be our final episode in the book of Habakkuk. Let us keep you company while you go on a fall bike ride or perhaps begin to plan your Thanksgiving menu. Luke and Julie Brower will be joining us to talk about their favorite parts of Habakkuk. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of clear shining. To cheer it after the rain 